Uh, let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you and just ask for your Holy Spirit to go before us, Lord, as we uh, go into your word, Lord, and we go into some of your prophetic utterings, Lord, and we try to understand them. So send your spirit ahead of us, open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have. And Father, let everything be said in accordance with your wishes and your will this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I want to thank Zeke for that great introduction, and uh, I'll have that five bucks for you after service. <laughs> uh, Zeke asked me to, to just say a little bit about myself before he starts. You guys can know where I'm coming from. First, let me tell you what I'm not. I, I need to put my glasses on. I used to be able to do this without glasses. I used to be able to do a lot of things. Um, uh, first off, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an assistant pastor. I'm not an associate pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a member of the board. Never been to Bible college and never been to seminary. I'm just an ordinary person like you guys. Uh, now, as to who I am, I've been a, a Christian for 43 years. Gave my heart to the Lord at 27. Thank you. Gave my heart to the Lord at 27 years old in 1975. And yeah, you can do the math. I'm old. <laughs> and he's right. We did grow old together. <clears throat> Uh, I've been a Christian for 43 years. I've been around Calvary chapels for 35 of those years, and this particular Calvary chapel for 20-some years. Uh, I'm still, though, a new guy on the block because some of these people have been here since before dirt. So, uh, <laughs> uh, My career background it was uh, I was in an engineering field, and uh, I have an engineering-type mind. And as an engineer, you want to know two things. You want to know the details, and you want to know how things are supposed to work in the end. Uh, so that's how I study scripture. Uh, luckily for me, early in my walk, I came across the teachings of a guy named Chuck Missler. Some of you may know Chuck or know of him. Uh, he passed away recently and home with the Lord now and, and uh, enjoying his rewards. But uh, Chuck had a mind similar to the mine. He was an engineer, so he, in essence, became my Bible mentor. And as Chuck loved to teach about prophecy, I, I too, got, uh, got interested in prophecy. Now, I want to say I got interested in prophecy. I don't focus on prophecy. We're not to focus on prophecy. We're to focus on Jesus Christ, and that's, that's the main thing. So uh, this morning, we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to study prophecy. As Zeke said, he's, he's been teaching in Matthew 24 and 25, which have a lot of prophecy in them. Uh, Pastor Daniel last week talked on. Dave Bulberg, uh, last Thursday night, he, he taught on uh, uh, 2 Peter 3, which is full of prophecy, and uh, I urge you to get on the website and listen to that because it was, it was fantastic. Um, so this morning we're going to talk about prophecy. Now, some people don't like prophecy. Many people don't like talking about prophecy because uh, they say it's too difficult or it's too scary, too spooky. It scares them. Or uh, because it just upsets people, some of the things given in prophecy. And I can't dispute that. It's true that prophecy does tell us some things that are very disturbing and upsetting. But prophecy also tells us some things that are very encouraging and comforting, like where we're going to spend eternity and who we're going to spend it with. So uh, prophecy is important. Uh, so why do we study prophecy? Why should we care about prophecy? Is prophecy important? I'll answer that last question first. Yes, it's very important. There are basically two very important reasons why we study prophecy. The first reason is that prophecy, like all scripture, is inspired by God. 
Second uh, Timothy three sixteen tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I like the way the NIV translation says it. It says, "All Scripture is God breathed." Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? It's all God breathed. So, as prophecy is part of God's inspired word, we are therefore called upon to read and study it. One thing we need to realize is that God didn't give us prophecy to scare us. God gave us prophecy to prepare us. So like all of God's inspired word, prophecy is meant to be read and understood by God's people. The second reason why we study prophecy is because prophecy proves God. It proves God to be outside of time. It also proves the dependability of God's word. If prophecy is dependable, then all of God's word and therefore all of God's promises to us are dependable. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, just as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus Christ, are yes and in him, amen. Yes and amen. True and sure. God's promise to us are all rock solid. So prophecy proves that God is dependable. Now, what we're going to study today is Ezekiel 38. And, and why are we concerned with this particular prophecy? Uh, the reason for that is simple, because we're living in it. We're, we're, we're living in the fulfillment of that prophecy today. The foundation of what I'm going to say here in the next half hour, and that's not very much time, so we're going to go very fast. But the foundation of, of, of this prophecy update is based on a series of teachings that I did in the fall of 2013. Can you believe it's been five years? Well, uh, those teachings are available on the church website. I don't know, you said, well, we're going to have CDs available? Okay, they'll be signed up if you want to buy the CDs for uh, that also. I'm not sure they are. They're a couple bucks, I think. Uh, I don't get any of that. Zeke keeps it all for himself. It tells you what kind of guy he is. Um, so, as I said, due to time restraints, we, we cannot go deeply into the particulars of that prophecy or, or my perspective on it, uh, but you can do that yourself with the CDs or, or so forth. This update itself will be abbreviated due to time constraints. I usually have an hour on uh, Thursday nights, and I, I got about a half hour left this morning. So we're going to go very fast. But, you see, my job is not to get you to, to believe what I my job is to inspire you to look into the scriptures yourself and find out for yourself what you believe. So, But I will present a, a very brief overview of the main events of uh, Ezekiel 38 and of my perspective of them. Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes a, a sneak attack upon Israel wherein Russia and Iran and various allies invade Israel. This is the very next major event on God's prophetic calendar. Uh, and I believe that that war, that invasion, will escalate into a nuclear war. I believe that this war will result in worldwide social, political, and economic collapse. I also believe that the rapture will occur sometime just prior to or during that a war, but having very little impact on the world because it will be lost in the chaos that's going on at that time. Uh, I believe that to end that war, a peace treaty, a covenant, will be signed. 
uh, Daniel 9.27, and, and, well, first off, I believe that the Antichrist will be one, the one to negotiate that peace treaty. And Daniel 9.27 tells us that the Antichrist will sign a covenant with Israel. So uh, that's why I believe that. And when he signs that, that is thereby going to reveal him to the world as Antichrist. To the world in the sense that those who are biblically aware will realize that he's Antichrist. He's not going to stand up and say, hi, I'm the Antichrist. Um, <laughs> but that will reveal him to those who are biblically aware. And it will also begin, it will be the starting gun for the seven-year tribulation. Now, if that scenario is correct that I just presented, the rapture must precede this event as the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church is removed from the earth. And that's per 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8. Now, can I guarantee that events will happen exactly as I just described them? No, of course I can't. That's my perspective based on years of, of study of the scripture, but it's only my perspective. But I can, absolutely, I can absolutely guarantee one thing. These events will happen. <clears throat> so that's the short version of my perspective. And again, you can check out the details on the website or, or on a CD. Uh, one more thing I want to say about that war. I believe that when it, the war does come, it's going to come quickly. And uh, that it will be finished within days, maybe even hours, if it goes nuclear. Uh, it's not going to be. It's not going to be in Afghanistan. It's not going to be fought for 17, 18 years like we've been fighting there. And if you note, all the all the uh, Israeli wars have been very short, uh, matters of days. I believe that will be too. Um, and uh, again, it only takes one exploding nuclear bomb to really mess up your day. So, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be pretty short. <laughs> pretty short war. Uh, as for this morning, I want to shift our attention to some current events in the news that I believe are, are relevant to the Ezekiel prophecy. And I want to focus on three of the major actors in this little melodrama that's going to play out on the world stage. Those three are Russia, Iran, and Turkey, very important countries in this prophecy and very prevalent, pre prevalent in the news uh, today. And if time permits, I'll go into some uh, other events that are happening, uh, maybe some affecting this or just uh, uh, general end times prophecy um, um, uh, events for the most part that would probably take place after we're gone from this place. So let's, uh, let's uh, begin those events relating uh, with events uh, relating to Russia or as the Russian people affectionately uh, refer to her mother, Russia. First thing I want to say about Russia, before we even get started on what I got here, uh, this Russian collusion thing with Trump, don't pay any attention to that. that that's just political blustering, and it's all meant for just for distraction. It's not important, and it's going to end up being nothing. So don't get hung up on that. Uh, but now with Russia, where do we begin with Russia? Well, I'm going to begin by placing where and how Russia fits into the Ezekiel 38 uh, prophecy. So if you want, you can turn to the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 38. We're going we're gonna to look at some, a very few actually, uh, verses in there, but some very critical verses in there. Uh, Ezekiel is probably about, I don't know, maybe two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's before the New Testament and uh, after Isaiah and Jeremiah and those guys. So. 
So let's, uh, we'll begin, and we're going to start uh, with Ezekiel uh, 38, verse 2. There it says, Son of Man. It starts out saying, Son of Man. Now, one thing I want you to be aware of here, th- that phrase, Son of Man, is used in two different ways in the Old Testament. One way, it's used of Jesus Christ. And in that, the Son of Man is all capitalized. In this case, you'll know it's not. So Son of Man, there is Ezekiel. God is speaking to Ezekiel, who he's telling Ezekiel to do something here. So God says, uh, Ezekiel, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Okay, who is this talking about? This is speaking of Russia. Uh, Magog is an ancient name for Russia, or the area what Russia now occupies. Um, up there were the Scythians were the first, I think, group of people up there. They were very fierce and terrible people. Um, but that's, that's what it's talking about. Actually, on the, on the um, uh, Great Wall of China, I think there's one, one place where there's an inscri- inscription indicating that the wall was built, and for one reason, to keep out Magog. So yeah, it's well established that Magog is, is Russia. And more specifically, though, God is here speaking to the prince of Russia, the leader of Russia, Gog, G-O-G. Uh, you could call him the czar of Russia, uh, which today is uh, Vladimir Putin. And I'm going to tell you right here, and, and this might sound a little controversial, but I do personally believe that Putin is the Gog that God is talking about in Ezekiel 38, uh, which in itself brings up some pretty interesting issues. If Putin truly is Gog, then that means that the Antichrist is alive and well. It means the two two witnesses of Revelation are alive and well. And it means that the 144,000 young Jewish men are alive and well and being prepared by God for their future evangelistic role in the tribulation. So uh, it's kind of interesting to to watch over all this and, and keep that in mind. Uh, it could also mean that the millennial kingdom, millennial kingdom is at the end of the tribulation where Christ is back on earth and he rules for a thousand years. That the millennial kingdom may be as little as 10 years or less away. And that's something to, to think about and dwell on. So again, uh, let's, let's start with some events here in Russia. And I'm going to start with economic events. And I'm starting with economics because, as Ezekiel tells us, economics is one of the factors for Russia getting involved in this conflict in the first place. Uh, God, in verse 11 and 12, which we're going to look at next, is still addressing Gog, the leader of Russia here. Uh, He says to Ezekiel, he, uh, he says to Gog, you will say, I will go up against a land. That land, of course, that he's going up against is Israel. And we can see that being prepared now. He says, I will go up against the land to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Um, That's that's interesting, though, the way he puts that. Uh, a people gathered together, that's Israel, back in the, in the land, back as a country. Uh, 
Ezekiel 37 contains the dry bones prophecy. And that is, the whole chapter is the prophecy of the restoration of Israel as a nation. And of course, 37 pre immediately precedes 38. Uh, uh, Israel is now a nation and Ezekiel uh, immediately is after that. So I think we're right there. Who uh, acquired livestock and goods. They're very rich people. Plunder and booty, of course, refers to, to riches. We know what, what, uh, what booty is from, from pirate ship movies. They're always out looking for to plunder and to get booty. So they're looking for money. Russia will attack Israel for monetary gain because they need money. Russia is a third world economy aspiring to be a first world superpower. Uh, someone joked recently that Vladimir Putin called and says he wants his empire back. And that empire was the old Soviet Union. So he, he has, uh, he has uh, grand plans of, of restoring the Soviet empire um, under him. Um, uh, the problem for Putin is that Russia also has a third world economy. Um, Russia has a gross national product that's equal uh, about to the gross national product of New York City and it is petroleum-based. Russia relies on energy revenues to drive most of its e economic growth. Well, when, excuse me. <clears throat> One of the main pressures now on Russian economy is that fracking has made the U.S. the top producer of petroleum and natural gas hydrocarbons in the world. As a result of that, President Trump is exploring the possibility of increasing U.S. exports of liquefied natural gas to Europe. Uh, the EU currently imports about 40% of its natural gas from Russia. That's a lot. So much, in fact, that three times just this century, in the last 18 years, three times um, this century, Russia has used the threat of shutting off their natural gas supply in winter as a political weapon to influence the EU's vote in the UN. So Russia sees these plans of Trump as being an economic threat to them. Uh, in other economic news, Russian police recently detained more than 1,000 people protesting against planned increases to the national pension age, a further example of Russia's worsening economic woes. We're always talking about raising the Social Security age to 67, 66. They're talking about that too. And uh, the Russian people don't like that idea, especially because they so much depend on that. Uh, the poverty rate in Russia is about 13%. Uh, the poverty rate in the United States is about 13%. But living in poverty in the United States is very much different than living in poverty in Russia. So these people are very concerned about that. Uh, going to geopolitics and military issues. Uh, through its support of Bashar al-Sadr's regime in Syria and along with multiple treaties that it has signed with Iran, some of which are mutual defense treaties, which like we have mutual defense treaties, an attack on one is an attack on the other. <clears throat> but anyway, um, they've uh, securely uh, secured themselves uh, a place in the Middle East uh, because of these treaties. And th that's something that Russia has had a goal to do for two centuries. 
Since the 1800s, Russia's been looking for what they call a warm water port. You have to remember, most of Russia's seaports are uh, covered with ice for almost half of the year. So they're looking for warm water ports. They finally found that. And while economics may be one reason for Russia's involvement in invading Israel, these treaties with Iran may prove to be the real catalyst that leads them to ultimate confrontation with the U.S. ending in a nuclear exchange. Again, God still addressing Gog in Ezekiel 38 in verse 4 says this. Now again, this is Gog, uh, God talking to Gog. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your armies. Hooks in the jaws, that's, that's, an, old, uh, that's an old visual of uh, someone being forced to do what they don't want to do. When, when uh, people were uh, subjugated by other, other countries, uh, when they took them away, for instance, when the Jews were taken out of Israel, um, they would put hooks, in the, like fish hooks, through their jaws and hook them in a line, and that's how they controlled the people going out. So God's saying that to Russia, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw, and I'm going to lead you into this war. Um, as to, uh, so that's how they're going to get mostly involved in, in that area there, although it's not against their will. They've wanted to be in the Middle East for, for two centuries, like I say, and they're getting pretty embedded there. As to Russia's involvement in the Syria civil war, Russia recently began patrolling in the eastern area of the Golan Heights of Syria. Now, we know that Israel can controls some of the Golan Heights in Syria. They control the western two-thirds of the Golan Heights. This is the one-third of the Golan Heights that Syria still retains, and now Russia is running military patrols there. That's big, and that's, always, uh, that's also a very uh, um, prevalent flashpoint that could cause a conflict between them and, and Russia. Uh, there's also a combined Russian-Iranian-Syrian uh, Russian military attack planned. They're doing the planning right now uh, to attack the last Syrian rebel stronghold in northwestern Syria, ending the civil war. Uh, the UN has labeled the impending assault as being potentially the worst humanitarian catastrophe of the 21st century. There's, there's just literally hundreds of thousands of people that could be killed there. <clears throat> what the UN doesn't know, though, is that there's, uh, there's going to be a lot more human, humanitarian, human, uh, humanitarian catastrophes coming in the 21st century. This is just the beginning. But uh, interestingly, along with that, Russia, Iran, and Turkey, there's Turkey finally in there, have offered to conduct peace talks between the Syrian government and the rebels, supposedly to avoid this attack that Russia and Iran are planning. I mean, that sounds kind of foolishness to me, but, you know, that's the foolishness of the world. So they're very embedded also there um, in that part of the world. In other news, Russia is spending vast amounts of money, which they don't have, in renovating and increasing its nuclear weapons and weapons capabilities. Russia is also building up its naval capabilities, with Putin recently announcing that 26 new warships and vessels will be delivered to the Russian Navy by sometime within the next year. Russia is doing this in hopes of expanding its naval capabilities farther south in the Pacific Ocean, and also in the Mediterranean Sea. 
One other note. Um, just recently, President Trump drew some comical criticism for suggesting that the U.S. add another branch to the military, calling it the U.S. Space Force. It might interest you to know that, on a, uh, that in 2011, Russia announced the addition of its then newest branch of the military, naming it the Russian Aerospace Defense Forces. In 2015, they combined that branch with the Russian Air Force, and they renamed the new combined branch the Russian Space Forces. So that's not so comical now. Russia is preparing for war in space. As a matter of fact, it doesn't sound like the Russians are preparing for peace anywhere, does it? They're getting ready for war. All right, enough for Russia. Let's talk about Iran. Ezekiel 38 again, this time verse 5. And here uh, he's listing some of the countries that are going to be involved in this. It says, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, all of them prepared for war. We know who Ethiopia and Libya are. Those are North African countries that are still with us today. And, of course, Persia is the ancient name of modern-day Iran. Um, now, if we want to look at North Korea as being the world's crazy old aunt in the attic, we have to look at Iran as being the world's crazy old uncle in the attic. I'll tell you why in a moment. Iran, unlike most Muslim countries, is Shia Muslim, Muslim instead of Sunni Muslim. Shia is also represents uh, the majority of Muslims in Iraq and in Bahrain. Many of the Shiite mullahs who are currently running Iran are what are known as Twelvers, the number 12 with an ERS on the end of it. That's a branch of Shia that is distinguished by its adherence to 12 succeeding imams, ending with uh, Muhammad al-Mahdi in the 10th century. You wouldn't think that would be effective on us today, but it is. Twelvers are by far the largest group of Shias, making up around 80% of the Shia population. Twelver-style Shia became the state religion of Iran, in 1501, and 12er, uh, 12er Shia brand of Islam is a very special, crazy kind of Islam. Their belief is that the last imam, this guy Muhammad al-Mahdi, who disappeared into a cave at the age of five, uh, lives in occultation or lives in a, a, a spiritual realm somewhere, and will uh, reappear as the promised Mahdi who will create a worldwide caliphate at the time of some worldwide calamity. They believe that they can bring on that calamity by starting a nuclear war over Israel. The reason people have great fear of Iran getting a nuclear bomb is that they will not hesitate to use it. So... Some current events happening in and around Iran. Outside of Iran, of course, uh, mostly revolve around their involvement in this uh, Syrian civil war, as well as the expanding of their military presence in various parts of the region. And, of course, they are once again threatening to block passage through the Strait of Hormuz, which is a little waterway, um, 
which uh, in which about 30% of the oil uh, world's oil supplies go through. If they do that, it will it will uh, cause a world crisis. In response to that threat, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and the UAE, United Arab Emirates, are looking into the possibility of building an oil pipeline in uh, Yemen to counter Iran's threats. Of course, uh, <laughs> Yemen is the middle of a civil war itself, so that has its own problems. Uh, current events actually inside of Iran re uh, right, revolve around the economy in that due to the recent reimposed U.S. sanctions, their economy is collapsing. Um, it's causing riots and demonstrations among the people in the streets, and it's resulting in the current regime being hated by Iranians of all ages and all social classes. The Iranian currency has been devalued by 50%, and even tougher U.S. sanctions are due to come in November. This civil unrest could pressure the mullahs to consider going to war sooner than later. Uh, President Trump has offered to meet with the Iranians with no strings attached, but so far they have declined the offer. Iran is not interested in peace. Iran is interested in war. And uh, now let's, let's turn to Turkey, the third, the third member here. Ezekiel 38.6 tells us this. It says, Gomer and all its troops, semicolon, which means a new, new topic, the house of Tagarma from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with them. Uh, Gomer is referring to some countries in southeastern Europe and uh, that area there, uh, Ukraine and some of those countries. Uh, the house of Tagarma, or Beth Tagarma, if you say it in the Hebrew, refers to the ancient people of Armenia who, who used to have an empire. At its peak, the Armenian uh, Empire stretched from modern-day Syria on the Mediterranean Sea to south of the Black Sea and east to the Caspian Sea. Historically, Turkey has also been known as the House of Tagarma, so that is talking about uh, Turkey. Turkey is an unusual case. Uh, Turkey is the bridge between the east and the west. When Mustafa Ataturk established mo modern-day Turkey in 1923, he established it as a secular republic. He wanted to make sure that political and military power rested in secular hands, not in the hands of Islamists. His intent was to take Turkey out of the eastern, mostly Muslim, sphere of influence uh, and, uh, and into the mostly democratic and prosperous western sphere of influence. Until just a short time ago, Turkey uh, was on a quest to become a part a, a, of the EU. They wanted to become an EU nation. Uh, but every attempt at joining the EU, EU was rebuked by the, rebuffed by the B, uh, EU. They did, did not want Turkey in there. They did not want to add 60-some million Muslims uh, to Europe. And uh, instead, now they've got about 60 million Muslims in Europe. But anyway... Uh, Turkey currently is a member of NATO. Again, up to a short time ago, Turkey and Israel had a very cordial relationship with each other. They would use each other's airfields during, during military exercises, and tourism between the two countries was open and casual and very relaxed, with citizens of both countries offering vacationing in the others. 
Turks would go to Israel. Oh, I'm sorry. Turks would go to Israel. Israel, Israelis would go to Turkey. That all began to change with the election of Recep Erdogan in 2014. Erdogan is moving Turkey away from Western influence and back into Eastern influence and back into Turkey's Islamic roots. In 2016, there was an attempted military coup which failed against Erdogan. Uh, during that coup attempt, no NATO member, including the U.S., provided any moral support to him, mostly because he is moving Turkey away from democracy and into an authoritarian Islamic regime. As a result of that attempted coup, Erdogan demanded the U.S. turn over to him the man he considers to be the leader of the coup attempt, that fella is a guy named Fatula Gulen, who, for some reason, lives in Pennsylvania. America's refusal to turn Gulen over to Turkey led Aragon, er Erdogan to arrest American pastor Andrew Brunson in retaliation. We know who he is, don't we? He's been in the news just recently. Uh, President Trump has demanded the release of Pastor Brunson and has imposed stiff tariffs on Turkish imports until that happens. <clears throat> because of the sanctions uh, President Trump has imposed on Turkey, and along with some other economic circumstances, Turkey is another country that is currently on the verge of economic crisis. Turkey has always been the key to this prophecy. The more Islamic Turkey becomes, the closer we are to the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. <clears throat> Excuse me. Someone recently called me and asked me if the events in Turkey are prophetically significant. The answer I gave them is that all events are prophetically significant. God has a plan, and everything that happens is in accordance with his completion of that plan. So everything that happens is significant. So that takes care of Turkey. And of course, along with that, closely watch the events that take place in Israel and the U.S. Boy, Zeke, I don't know if I'm going to make it by quarter till. <laughs> well, that's true, too. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> so this has been a real quick and superficial update on Ezekiel 38 and 39. Strategically, nothing much has changed since 2013. We're still right in the middle of this prophecy, and it's getting ready to be fulfilled. Tactically, though, God is still using current events to move nations into place and get them ready for this. Real quick, we'll just go over some other general end-time uh, events. Uh, most other nations, now remember, are not being prepared for the Ezekiel War but they are being prepared for the tribulation and for Armageddon. When asked about the signs of his coming in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus tells us to look for wars and rumors of wars and for natural disasters, some examples he gave, which were famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. He called these things the beginning of sorrows. In other places, these events are referred to as birth pangs, the world's getting ready. Uh, for a very traumatic experience. He also tells us that in the last days will be like the days of Noah, when most with most people being unaware of what was about to come upon them. And we can certainly say that about today. 
Most people are truly unaware of what's coming down the road at them. He also tells us in Luke 21, though, that when we see these things beginning to take place, we are to look up because our redemption is drawing near. So again, the Lord is telling us to be aware and awake. Uh, some other geopolitical events. Um, uh, the United States, President Trump is uh, once again moving to make the U.S. the world's largest superpower economically and militarily. Uh, the world doesn't like that, but that's what he's doing. Um, domestically, as we see with this election, uh, socialism and the movement for one world government is on the rise in America. We have some open socialists running. Um, and the nation itself is deeply divided with many on the left being full of hatred and animosity for those on the right, and violence is now commonplace. Other things in the news, North Korea, it looks like the agreement uh, is unraveling, and they appear to be backed to pursuing nuclear technology. China, massive arms buildup, they're told, to, and their military has been specifically told to prepare for war with the U.S., uh, they're also advancing their weapons uh, technology, mostly in anti-ship and anti-satellite. Uh, and it is deserving for us to find out uh, how much of our war-making capabilities depend on satellites. Uh, we have no satellites, we have no defense or offense. Also, if we have no satellites, we have no communications, no internet, no commerce, no trucking, rail, sea. Transportation, no airlines, no manufacturing, no banking, no food transportation, no food production, uh, no water, no gas, no electricity, no gasoline, no ATMs, no medications, no TV, movies, radios, and no Facebook. I'm not sure that last one is a bad thing, but <laughs> it will be gone too. Uh, and the list goes on. Everything that America is depends on satellites and satellite technology, and that's very scary to be in that position. Russia also just recently uh, launched a, a satellite that's acting very strangely. The military doesn't know what it's doing and Russia won't say anything. And they're afraid that it might be a satellite killer. So uh, we're, we're, very, we're very vulnerable on that front. Uh, president Xi of China has been named uh, president for life, basically making him the new emperor of China. And uh, when you think about China, Japan, and India, uh, think about uh, Revelation and the, and the kings of the East. That's who these guys are. Uh, and there's other economic stuff going on. In, in world economies, Iran, Russia, Turkey, China, India, Venezuela, which could be the next Syria, uh, are in crisis. Others, too. Remember Greece? Remember Spain from a couple years ago? They haven't recovered very much. They're still in the bad, bad ways. So... There's a lot of that going on. Natural disasters are too various to mention. Uh, I just will mention Hurricane Florence, which is going on right now, uh, which is expected to drop over 10 trillion gallons of water. That's a lot of water on the eastern United States. Now, if we could just divert some of that to California, though, we'd be, we'd be in good shape. Uh, so we're dealing with volcanoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, flood, drought, forest fires. The fire near Redding uh, was the worst in California history. Red tides in Florida. The ring of fire in the Pacific is getting active again. Yellowstone is getting active. Remember, Yellowstone is a volcanic crater, a big volcanic crater. 
if that thing goes, the United States literally will be split in two. Uh, severe weather in Europe, and it just goes on. Disease and pestilence. According to a British Health Service official, there is an antibiotic-resistant epidemic that's going on in the world, and they are afraid that uh, they may not have any effective vaccines to fight future flu epidemics. Now, you may say, well, the flu, well, who cares? Uh, well, we should care. Um, in World War I, uh, the war killed 37 million people. The Spanish flu epidemic that broke out in 1918 near the end of that war killed between 50 and 100 million people. So uh, that's, that's very serious. Revelation 6.8 tells us, uh, uh, it's, it's talking about the, the, the fellow riding on the pale horse. And it says that death and hell followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Does beast here include viruses? Well, it might, so we don't know. Uh, then you got the opioid epidemic in America. Close to home, the California citrus fruit production is being threatened by a tiny bacteria that, if left unchecked, could end citrus production in California permanently. And that would be a big economic hit for us. In technology, the, technolo the technological revolution is just going full force. Uh, recently, one technocrat stated that future technological advances could eventually redefine what it means to be human. They're working on a chip, on a microchip, that can be implanted in the human brain stem. You don't need a computer to get on the internet. You're gonna be connected. So that's coming. Um, so in closing, uh, what should we take away from all this? First off, do not miss the significance of the time period that we occupy. I believe that the second most significant time period in history to live was the period when Jesus first walked on the earth. I also believe that the most significant time period to live in is right now at the Lord's second coming. Why? Because he's coming back, and this time he's not leaving. He's going to be here forever. Prophets of old would have given anything to see this time. Ezekiel 38 is not the coming of the Lord, but it may well be the prelude to its coming. It's not the judgment, but it may well be the prelude to the judgment, to tribulation. That's what we should take away, the significance of this time that we occupy. The question that brings up, though, is how should we as individuals react to these things? Should they cause us to be worried or to be afraid? And the answer to that is a definite no. We should be neither. Jesus himself stated over and over again in the Gospels, I think it was 40 or 50 or 60 times in one way or another, fear not, do not be afraid. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind. We are the most Christian, evangelical Christians are today the most sane people in the world because we know what's coming. Nobody else does, and that's, that's something to be, uh, well, that's a blessing. Uh, we're not to fear. That's not what we are to be. 
Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, which, which David taught on Thursday night, uh, after finishing a teaching on prophecy, Peter asked them, in light of that prophecy, he asked them this question. He says, what manner of persons ought you to be? The answer to that is that we ought to be a prepared people. Again, remember, God did not give us prophecy to scare us. He gave us prophecy to prepare us. Just a few points, and I'll end with this, Zeke. I'm pretty close. A few points I want to stress here in closing. The first and primary point, if you are not saved already, get saved and get saved today. This stuff is coming quickly. Second point, do not fear ever. God is always in complete control. Third point, be awake and aware. And lastly, and this goes with the third point, be aware of the significance of the time in which we live. This is perhaps the most spectacular and profound time in Bible prophecy that has ever been or ever will be. Don't find yourself later regretting missing it because you weren't paying attention. Keep yourself awake, aware, and understand what's going on. We live in amazing times, and we live in the end times. Take those two truths home with you today. God bless you guys. It's almost as if it's like, I don't want to bum you guys out. I'll let Mark do that. <laughs> he is so articulate in how he comes across with these current events that, again, I admire.